This morning we continue our series of messages entitled Christmas Stories, and we've been looking at Christmas account from the eyes of individuals that were there. Last week we looked at Simeon, and we saw how in the midst of this 400 silent years between Malachi and and Matthew, that God hadn't spoken to a prophet. And this older gentleman appears on the scene who had heard from God that before he would die, he would see the Messiah. And we saw him waiting and hoping. And when he saw the Messiah, he said, just dismiss me, Lord. We saw that his story was a story of hope. And today, we look at the lenses of a father. We look at a father's perspective on his son, Jesus, a heavenly perspective and an earthly perspective. Far too often as we look at the Christmas account, we've become so jaded because we repeat it year after year after year after year. 55 years I've enjoyed Christmas. And if we're not careful, Christmas comes along, we miss what really took place. It really did take place 2,000 years ago. And there really was a moment in time when there wasn't Christmas on the calendar. And there was a moment in time when there wasn't a manger scene. There was a moment in time where we didn't know December the 25th. And, and so today, we're going we're gonna to pull back and we're going to take a look at, at Joseph, a real father who was handed the Messiah. Now pause for a second and just think about it, those of who are fathers. Imagine for a second, you were held to the responsibility of raising Jesus. Like, you had to raise the king. You had, you, you had to raise the Messiah. Imagine for one moment just, just that responsibility. And we're going to see today that, that Joseph had to trust God. That Joseph had to trust Mary. And that Joseph had to trust himself. It's a story of trust. And so trust is something that's built over time. And when you trust someone... You're familiar with them, and not only are you familiar with them, but you're honest with them. And so today, as we look to this account, you're going to see, and I'm going to see, and hopefully all of us will see, that Joseph, earthly Joseph, trusted Mary. He trusted when she came to him and said, hey, that last night I want to let you know that this angel overcame me and, uh, and overshadowed me, and I'm pregnant. Imagine hearing that news and not trying to understand it completely for the first time. Today we're going to see this story of trust, and we get to go through the lenses of a father, which is very close to my heart. Even yesterday, as Ann and I had the opportunity to, 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 to give our daughter and trust her and entrusted her into the hands of, of her new husband, Johnny. And it was a good transaction, by the way. We fully trust him. We change when we trust in God. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. And when we face uncertain times, we know there's a God who's good on his word. Today, let's take a look. Let's dig in. Let's, let's, let's bring that story to life and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. We want you to read with us. We're going to read to God's word together. Open up your mobile devices. And if you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home with, with you. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. But stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25. First book of the New Testament. You'll see Malachi of the Old, and then you'll see Matthew as the first book of the New. Read out loud with me. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now remember, a couple weeks ago we saw this is the living word of God. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It was given uh, through, through men who were inspired by the Spirit. This is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. This isn't like reading the Goshen News. 
This is, this is the real living word of God. So as you read it, let it wash over you and let, let it breathe and give you life. But this is the account. Matthew chapter 1, let's read verses 18 to 25. Ready? Read. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You may have a seat. As we look at this account with Joseph, we find this out. He had to trust Mary. He had to trust that she did have an angel encounter. We see from this text, this is Joseph's encounter. But prior to this encounter, an angel came to Joseph, or came to Mary, and spoke that she would conceive and have a child. And it would be a virgin birth. And that the Spirit of God would overshadow her and overcome her. Let me give you some context here, unless, unless you've forgotten. In this, this time period... Most marriages were arranged. And so a man might see a woman that he was interested in. And very often, the woman was 13 to 14 years old. So think about that. Think of those parents, your 13-year-old daughter or your 14-year-old daughter saying, I'm getting married. Now think about your 13 or 14-year-old daughter coming to you and say, Mom, Dad, I want to let you know. This is my fiance. I'm pregnant, but he didn't do it. It was by the Holy Spirit. Now, how would you wrap your mind around that? See, sometimes we look at this, and we, 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 we know what took place, and we over-spiritualize the real people that experienced this. So we see that he had to trust Mary. Customs of the day, the fathers would come together, and they would make an agreement. They would reach a covenant with each other. This is my daughter. This is my son. We agree to this. My son wants to marry your daughter. Most daughters were 13, 14 years old. Most men were 25 to 30. It was the culture and custom of the day. Keep in mind this too. Most likely, Joseph didn't even know Mary that well. It wasn't like they courted. They went out to Starbucks in Jerusalem, had dates, they went to the movies. It didn't take place. It was just like, I see you. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to have this betrothal period. We're going to get to know each other. And at the beginning of this betrothal period, he finds out that she's pregnant. And she tries to convince him and tell him that she didn't have intimate relationships with a man, that she was overcome by the Spirit. So imagine if you can, picture this if you can. She goes to Joseph and she says something like this. Joseph, I have something I want to tell you. So he's, imagine what that might be. We're going to get married, we're going to move to this house, and these are the goals and values that I have for our relationship. I'm looking forward to it. And then she says, Before I say I do, I want to let you know, I'm pregnant and it's not what you might be thinking. Now, what would you be thinking as you were the man 
that entrusted your life to this woman. And then she says, and by the way, the Holy Spirit overcame me through the night, and now I'm pregnant, and I just thought you should know. Imagine what that might have done to the heart of Joseph. Because every man, most likely during this time, culture and customs would show that he would work towards being married. And so the woman that his father had agreed to, and the father whose son potentially would become his son had agreed to, is now looking at him eyeball to eyeball and saying something he had never read anywhere before. There was no manual. There was no encyclopedia. There was no commentary written. All they had was the Torah. They had the Old Testament. Nothing other than they had probably heard from Isaiah chapter 7 that this prophecy would be fulfilled. But never in their wildest imagination do you ever think Mary woke up, I know I'm the one, I know I'm the one, I know I'm the one. Never in their wildest imaginations would they ever fathom such a thing. Joseph didn't have a manger scene that he could refer to. Christmas wasn't on the calendar, and there wasn't December 25th. There had to be a level of trust that he had to place in his future wife. God trusted Joseph, too, because prophecy was already in motion. Have you ever considered that? This prophecy that she would give birth was already, she was already pregnant. So God must have known, and he did, from the foundation of the world, that Joseph would say yes. So she's standing in front of him, pregnant, and yet he still hasn't said yes to her yet, but God knew. Because if we read the story in Psalm 22, he dies, we see in Isaiah 7, he's coming all through the Old Testament. We know that this was about to take place. You see, God knew ahead of time that Joseph would say yes, otherwise he would have never chosen him to be the earthly father of Jesus. I got asked this question. Would God trust us? Moms, dads. As God scans the earth and looks who, for hearts who are wholeheartedly set on him, would God ever look down and say, yeah, there's that man in Goshen and there's that gal in Goshen and New Paris and Elkhart and LaGrange and Middlebury and Michigan and Maryland and South Carolina. There, there they are. Ohio, would we even appear on the radar screen? Because we know from the text we're about to see that Joseph was a righteous man. And now he's a righteous man. He, 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 he was a father of the law of Moses. So he was faithful. So somehow he had already gotten the attention of God. This text then tells us that Joseph heard this. So Mary comes to him. She says, let me tell you my angel story. So turn to Luke. Turn over to Luke chapter 1. This is Mary's angel talk. She goes to Joe and she says, listen. Here's, here's what happened. I know it's going to be hard for you to believe this, but here's what took place. Turn to Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Look, what this is, this is Mary's angel encounter. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, and he will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever, what? What's your Bible say? Fail. So that's her story. Imagine she's trying to, to, to give her story. And one text says that she was greatly shaken. Another text says she was troubled. Sure she would be. Later we see that she pondered these things in her heart. And I'm sure as this baby was forming in her womb, she was asking the questions, how did this happen? How is this possible? I know it's the Holy Spirit, but she had never experienced. She couldn't go to her friend and drink coffee and say, tell me, what's it like to have a virgin birth? Have you ever been there? And so there's these moments that she was all alone and Joseph and her were all alone. And now she has to tell him the story. Think about this. She was greatly troubled. Wouldn't you be? There was an angel talking to her in the middle of the day. When's the last time you had an angel talk to you? Secondly, how often does a teen hear anyone say this about them? You who are highly favored. How many 13-year-olds ever deaf from your mom and dad or someone? Mostly it's go to your room. She wondered what the... And the world was going on. Then this angel continues while she's still trying to figure it all out. And she she tells Joseph, she's unpacking this story. And she's telling Joseph that the angel said, I shouldn't be troubled. I shouldn't be surprised. I shouldn't be shaken because it's going to happen. And then she says that I'm going to have Jesus, the son of God. And she unpacks this story in front of Joseph. And so her, her, her story is this. She says, Joe, I want to let you know, this is what the angel said, that, that, that while I was sleeping one night, I was overcome and overshadowed, and I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that for a second. For the very first time hearing that information, would you trust your fiancé? You see, sometimes we think that Mary's like this special, extra special person, and Joseph is an extra special person. No, they were peasant, poor people who just were followers of the law and believed in God, and they had never read about virgin births before. They couldn't go. They didn't have Google back then, so they didn't have a place to go and say virgin birth. All they knew is that a man and a woman come together, and there's a child, and now he's looking at this woman who's to be his wife, and he has to make a decision. Will he put her away in divorce or will he follow through and do what the angel said and say, this isn't your, your child, but I want you to know that, I, that it's a virgin birth. He has a decision. Will he trust this woman who is going to be his wife? I love what the angel says to Mary. Mary in 137, for no word from God will ever fail. Other translations say this, nothing is impossible with our God. That's the context from which that verse comes from. Think again. Jo- Joseph has a chance. He, he decided initially, look back at Matthew chapter 1 now, look at Matthew chapter 1 in his account, look what he decides first. It says this in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
This is his encounter. His mother Mary was pledged to, to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And this is because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But look at the conjunction in verse 20. But after he had what? What's the next word? Considered this. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and told him the truth. So he has angel visit number two. So what might a man who's never been a father, who's never been a husband, who's just a faithful follower of God, of Yahweh, what, 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 what might be the question? What are questions that you and I ask as fathers and mothers? Like There are questions, even yesterday as I stood, and, and by God's grace, I, I stood with our daughter and, and, I, and, and our son-in-law. I've never said that. Our son-in-law. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, by the way. I stood there and... And there was these moments all, all over the last couple of weeks where I just kept wondering, I hope that I've prepared her as a father for this moment. Like, I realized that there weren't any more moments to, to this moment. And I, and I remember this week and just praying, Lord, I pray that your grace would cover my mistakes. God, that your grace would overshadow all my faults. And that, God, that your grace would do more for her than I could ever do for her. But it was like, at that moment, I realized that I couldn't do any more for her to prepare her. And so what was Joseph? What was he thinking? I bet he asked this question. Because these are the kind of questions dads ask. How can a man be a father to a son of God? Like, some of us even ask, how can I be a, a father to that? Dads are built to protect. Dads are built to care. Dads are built to, to, to love. I bet another question he asked was this. Lord, for all of my life, I've been a simple carpenter. I don't know how to do anything else than that. And you expect me to raise a king? I'll raise a table. I'll raise a chair. But I don't know how to raise a king. He was a simple kind of man. But that's the kind of people Jesus uses. Humble, servants, faithful, committed trust and believe that God's word will never fail. Never fail. So what does he do? Verse 23 to 25 of Matthew 1 says this. He did what the angel of the Lord said to do, and he took her as his wife. Now he has to trust in himself, doesn't he? Because for some reason, God knew he could raise a king. He didn't know how to do it. For some reason, he knew he, he was going to be the father to the son of God. Imagine that responsibility every day. Whew, hope I don't blow this one. Imagine that responsibility that, that he lived with. Now, keep in mind, this birth had to be a virgin birth. Now, imagine for a second, you are Mary and you are Joseph, and, you, you, and you're walking out on the streets. Now, listen, word got on the street. They didn't have Instagram. There weren't photos taken of Mary pregnant. I don't know. Hashtag, not sure who the daddy is. Who's your daddy? We're not sure. It wasn't out there. But imagine, word got out on the street. It was there, it was there, it was there. And so they'd be walking, and there'd be whispers. And, and Mary, I'm sure, and Joseph at nighttime, and I'm sure there was moments, there's no doubt in my mind, where she cried herself to sleep because she was in pain and looking at her husband and saying, they don't understand. And nor were they ever understand. I bet it was lonely. 
can you imagine having friends over, developing friends, and, 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 and it's like there's an elephant in the room every time you're together? Like, you know it's going to get there. Someone's going to ask, so tell me about the virgin birth again. I'm sure it was a lonely track, but they trusted in God, and Joseph trusted in Mary. And I love to, to picture him taking care of her and protecting her. And Joseph stood up for his wife, I'm convinced, over and over and over again because there were people who wanted to say that she had committed adultery. And the custom of the day was this. If you committed adultery before you were married, you took the woman to the street and you stoned her. But Joseph said, not on my watch. This is my wife. And we've had a word from the Lord. And I am convinced, and I know this wife that God has given me follows him, and I trust her, and we trust God. Imagine if relationships were built that way, where we trusted one another and we trusted in God. He gave a whole new meaning for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. There had to be points in their young lives that they would get tired of the looks and they felt all alone and and they battled with depression. And because they were normal human beings, they weren't super saints by any stretch of imagination. But we know this too, that God believed in him enough, that's Joseph, to hand off his son to him. Talk about pressure and unrealistic expectations. How would you like to have that pressure? Hey, Joseph, I want you. This is God the Father. You receive a text from God the Father. I'm going to send my son Jesus, and I know you got what it takes to raise the Son of God. Thank you, God the Father. Imagine the the unrealistic expectations and, and the unreasonable goals that you would place upon yourself, knowing that you're raising the Son of God. God believed in him enough to hand off his son. At some point in our journey with Jesus, we must come to a realization, just like Joseph did and Mary did, that God believes in us. When we realize, instead of listening to the whispers of the enemy, it says, listen, I remember that sin you committed. I remember when you did when you were 12, 13, the accuser comes. We have to listen to the spirit that says, listen, Jesus died for our sins, and he's chosen not to remember them forever and ever and ever and ever. And we can say, Christ is with us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. we got to speak to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. And when we recognize our identity, we can stand in the midst of trials and troubles and accusations and say, but God is with me. You see, I believe Joseph had some honest moments after hard days in the carpenter shop. And pondered thoughts. Boy, I hope I don't blow this one. And I bet he said these things. I trust you, God. If you brought me to this, then you will walk me through it. You see, we've got to believe. You see, some of us think we, we're overwhelmed. How would you like to be the father and mother to the Messiah? How would you like to be the father to the king of kings and lord of lords? How would you like to stand in that for a period of time? Joseph wasn't given any extra resources. Jesus, baby Jesus didn't come with the how-to raise a king manual. It didn't happen. There was no place to go. It wasn't extra special revelation that he received. It wasn't a special delivery from FedEx that says, this is how to raise the son of God. 
but he probably never got called to the principal's office in raising him, though. I guarantee you that. You see, Christmas through the eyes of Joseph was one of trust. I trust you, Mary. I trust you, God. I trust in myself. You see, each time you feel overwhelmed, consider what Joseph and Mary had to do. They had to raise the Son of God. How do you prepare a son to die on a cross for the whole world? Now imagine this relationship. That's the earthly father, the heavenly father looking down to the earthly father. That's through their lenses. Imagine, if you can, that moment in time when God the Father and God the Son were seated in heaven. We don't fully comprehend and understand how this all works because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, work together, and they think in, in past, present, and future with one train of thought. That's how they think. So before the foundation of the world, they knew this time was coming. Galatians 4, 4 said that there would be a time and the fullness of time it would take place. But imagine this conversation. It's coming down to the last day. God the Father and God the Son. They're seated in heaven. This beautiful relationship, perfect relationship between a son and a father. And God the Father, as they're coming to the end, it's a week away from Jesus taking heaven to earth. From Jesus leaving the second seat of the, of the throne room of heaven and, and, and going to earth. Imagine a week away and they're having conversation. What might you say to your father, your perfect father? What might the perfect father say to the perfect son knowing that there's going to be a 30-year separation? What do you say to your son if you're a dad? And no, I might not talk to you again for 30 years. Because we know from Scripture that it was this separation. We know, we know even on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? There was this period of time that he would incarnate himself, and we understand that he became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He left the throne room, fully God, fully man. But what must that have been like to know? What did they say? What, what did they do? So this week I tried to fathom that. We have two sons, and we love them dearly. And you've come to love them dearly, too. And I try to picture what it would be like. I'm 55. What would it be like to know that I couldn't talk to Josh and Isaiah for 33 years? I'm 55. I'd be 88 years old. I don't even know if I would be here. What, what would be the conversations that we might have that last hour? Like, like, like will we just embrace? How about the last 10 minutes? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm proud of, I'm proud of you, Josh. I'm proud of you, Isaiah. What would you say? What would the perfect father say to the perfect son? What might he be saying in that moment? And so I was thinking, like, these would be things that I would miss out on. Like, I mean, sometimes we just need to bring it home. I'd probably miss out on college golf with Isaiah. The dating scene with our boys. Maybe marriages and grandchildren. Some graduations. And the talks about the Redskins and how they lost another one. (laughs) We would miss the talks about life and God. Maybe I would even miss them saying, hey, Dad, I met this certain girl, and she loves Jesus, and I kind of like her. And possibly, as we're talking, hearing them say that we might not ever see you again, Dad. You'll be 88. By the way, I'm so grateful that my stepfather is here today with us and my family is here. See, sometimes we miss this truth. The Christmas story is a story of separation from God the Father to God the Son. 
He loved us so much that he was willing to send his son, bring heaven to earth. Imagine this week as I was talking about what, what, what might Josh and Isaiah be saying to me? I don't know. I, Dad, I wanted to learn this from you. And I wanted to know how to build a house and maybe understand some Greek. And Dad, you won't be there to share the joys of my life. You won't be there to witness maybe me marrying one day or being part of my wedding and, and maybe even being a dad too. You see, the father and son would miss out on a lot of special times together. The vacant seat in the throne would be a reminder that his son was gone. So every day he walked by the vacant seat. The son of God is on earth, incarnating himself, becoming flesh and blood. Why? Listen, listen to me. Listen, this is the story of Christmas. He came to rescue us from our sins. And the reason we have Christmas is because Jesus loves us. How did they spend their last days together? Well, I'm convinced they said, I love you a lot. Some thoughts as I was thinking about this separation. And he still loved his father, even though the plan included separation and death. And he respected him enough to not nix the plan. He could have. He could have said, no, dad, I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to earth to those rascals, to those sinners. Just let them go to hell. Listen, we don't need that up here. But he was willing to humble himself, and be obedient to even death on the cross. Think with me for a minute. What did Jesus give up when he left the throne room of heaven? You see, in heaven, they called him the king of kings and the lord of lords, and they worshiped him. They didn't stick a spear in his side and put a crown of horns on his head. They didn't spit on him and make him carry a cross. They worshiped him every single day and he left heaven for us they didn't call him lord of lords on earth he was the second person and remained the second person of the trinity fully god and fully man he shared in creating genesis 126 says that it's a beautiful picture of the of the trinity it says we third person masculine plural And now, he shared in creation, he breathed into existence, and he was served by angels, and he ruled the universe, and he planned the destiny of the ages, and now he's, he's being born in an inn in Bethlehem. But one day, 2,000 years ago, he left the throne room of heaven and came to a dry, dusty, barren land called Bethlehem, and everything changed forever. You see, he once held the world in his hand. That's what Colossians says, and, and, and he did. He left the throne room of heaven, and he held on to a piece of broken straw in a manger. He was once the prince of heaven that was wooed with hallelujah courses. Now he heard the mooing of cows and sheep in his ears. He was once the center of attention. But I'm convinced no one other than very few people, even knew that he was born. He was a blip 
on the radar screen, who had reduced himself to the size of an embryo, and the size of the embryo is the size of a grain of salt. The king of kings and lord of lords reduced himself to a piece and a grain of salt so that he could save the world from their sins. Listen, church, that's love. He was heaven's champion and will become Herod's scapegoat. And I'm sure, by the way, I'm sure it was hard. I'm, I, I'm sure there's times that, that God wanted to reach down and said, enough, enough, enough. I'm sure there's times Jesus said, I'm out of here. But he knew that he needed to fulfill prophecy. And he knew in order to rescue us, he had to walk and be tempted in every way just like us, yet without sin. That was a very long time, friends. They had never experienced separation before. Yet God the Father loved us enough to send his son on earth and handed him off to a mother named Mary and an earthly father named Joseph to raise him one day to fulfill prophecy that included death, burial, and resurrection. You see, God spoke to Jesus, his son, one time. Now, I can imagine, 33 years, never, like, I, I can't imagine, I'm not even be able to send one text, not, a, not even be able to have one phone message, not even be able to, 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 to send a message to, to our sons. I mean, imagine, and, and you only get one. He got like one time, and it was like this build-up moment, and we see it in the Gospels, and, and Jesus is there, and all of a sudden, the heavens open up, and what did God the Father say to, to Jesus? It was like he's been waiting. It's been, it's been 30 years. I finally get to say something to him, and his words from his mouth were this, this is my son in whom I am well what? Pleased. Doesn't every son want to hear that from his daddy? I'm proud of you from your dad. That's why we get so much brokenness with men because they've never heard those words and we wonder where did that come from? It came from God the father to God the son in that period of separation. God set the standard that said, speak to your boys, speak life in them. Christmas through the eyes of Joseph is a story of unconditional love and trust. I don't know where you're at. I know where a lot of you are at. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed today. <laughs> maybe you're feeling broken. Maybe, maybe you wonder if you can get through this issue. Maybe you got a report from the doctor. Maybe, maybe you got a relational woe. Maybe you got an addiction. Maybe you got a financial burden. Maybe, maybe there's uncertainty. Maybe, maybe it's just been hard. Like, it's been a hard year. God loved you so much that 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to earth to rescue you, and he handed off his son to earthly parents to care for him. And if he did that, then you can trust him with the plan he has for your life too. Christmas is a story of trust. Let me ask you, do you trust God that much? Have you become so jaded with the Christmas story that it's just a little manger scene and, and, it, and, and you've forgotten that there were these two human beings called Mary and Joseph and they went against custom and culture and they lived with criticism and they were lonely and desperate, but they knew that they knew that they knew that no plan of God would ever fail. Do you? Oh, God, help us today 
we get all out of whack over someone not picking us up or not being able to get the channel on the television or we didn't get good gas mileage. We get all out of whack over the things that don't have any eternal perspective. Help us to trust you, God. That same word that you gave in Luke 137 is true today. No plan and no word from God will ever fail. Help us to trust you. We love you, Jesus. I am so grateful that you brought heaven to earth and then you brought earth to heaven. Wow. Help me never to lose the love and appreciation that you marked out, dear God, by sending Jesus. Help us, God. Help us not to run through this Christmas season missing that you love us enough to separate yourself, God, from your son and send him to earth and for us to know that the same God that did that can do whatever we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Over these four weeks, our goal has been this, to take this message to our community. So just, just hold on one second. Don't go and distract it by your stuff. And over the, these four weeks, we've been asking, how can we be a light, salt and light in the community? Last week, we, we, we took cards and we gave you an envelope where you bought a, a, a Walmart card or you bought a, a food card. And we asked you to go out and hand us off and say Merry Christmas from Grace Community. And we asked you to pray about it. It's been amazing to see the stories that have surfaced. So we decided, how, how can we this week continue to be salt and light? So we began to pray, and we asked God, God, who's the group that you want us to reach this week? How can, we, how can we individually as families be reaching people? Who are the people that are underappreciated? Who are the people that could use a boost of encouragement and love? Who are the people that we could say you know, to them that we, we value you, we, we, we thank you, we're, we're grateful for you? Who are, who are those people? And so we prayed about it, and we thought, you know what? This week, we're going to reach the teachers, and we're going to ask you, Pastor Tannins in Kid City, all three services today, he's been talking to our kids, and he's been telling them that their parents out here are hearing this same thing. And here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you that you would take this card that says, Merry Christmas, thanks for your investment in my life. And we're asking, imagine what can happen. A couple thousand people, we've got a bunch of kids, now touching all the teachers in our community and taking this card and say, we appreciate it. And we're, and we're praying that this connection is an opportunity for this student and maybe you have multiple kids, and they got, they got multiple teachers. And can you imagine, like, four or five teachers getting something from kids that say, we value, we thank you, we're glad you invest in us. And imagine conversations that could take place. And we're praying that God gives spiritual conversations and that there's, there's these moments where unsaved teachers have an opportunity to connect God to life. And so we're asking you to take this card, but with this card, this is what we're asking you to do with it. Last week, we asked you to buy gift cards and just give them out. Teachers are weary, so here's what we're encouraging you to do. And you can do whatever you want, but maybe it's a Gatorade. You take the Gatorade and say, um, I, you might need some energy today. And we're hoping that, that this will bless you. And so you take this card, you wrap it up, put a bow on it, and your kid takes it off to school. And, and maybe, maybe it's orange juice because the viruses that teachers have to deal with in their classrooms. 
And so maybe it's an orange juice. You, you, you say here, and you pray before you send your kids out, and you take them an orange juice. And maybe, maybe it's just like, I mean, go all out. Get them a big dark chocolate. I mean, what teacher doesn't, Ray, you want, you want some chocolate? He'll take it. My brother, he'll take it. He's a school teacher. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's a frappuccino. Maybe, maybe that's your kind of teacher. You take a frappuccino and, and you say, thank you. I don't know. What, maybe, maybe it's a bottle of Excedrin. Maybe that's your kid. They need that. I don't know. But we're asking you this week to just love our teachers. And we're asking you, if you would be willing, here in the main and in the link, if you would bless your teachers in your community and say Merry Christmas, if you would just hold your hand up and we'll give you one of these cards. You just want to bless, just, just hold it up, and the usher's going to put one in your hand. If we could get guys some help there to hand out these cards quickly, can we grab it back in the back there and hand these out? Can someone just jump up? We've got men here. Men, jump up. Help them out there. Hold, keep your hand up. Keep your hands up. This is a chance for you to bless someone in our community, a teacher in our community. Just keep your hands up. I'll pray. Hold your hands up while we're praying, and I'll send you off. So I'm praying, Lord, I pray that this blitz of love would encourage teachers. I pray, God, that somehow that the connection we made between God and life and, and that, Lord, that, that your name would be lifted up. We boast in your name, Jesus, is for your glory. And I ask, Jesus, that teachers would be encouraged, underappreciated, undervalued, and they make such a profound difference. We thank you for our teachers. And so, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you that my family, my siblings, my my nieces and my nephews and my stepfather were here today. What a gift that is for me. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful that you love us enough to, to come and be born in a manger and walk on planet Earth and to die a horrendous life and be murdered on a cross willingly. Thank you, Jesus. Now may we go in peace and be strengthened by your word, and may we be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.